Hey, everybody, welcome back into another edition of the Inside Nebraska podcast. He's Steve Marek, he's Greg Smith, and I'm Zach Carpenter. And boys, it's uh, nine practices in to Nebraska spring ball, so a little bit past the half, uh, the halfway point with four practices left and uh, um, the spring game on April 22nd. And uh, today we're going to be getting into uh, just a deeper dive into the first half, essentially the first half of Husker spring ball. Um, kind of wanted to cover three topics, three main topics. Uh, Matt Rule, just impressions and observations of his first spring ball um, at Nebraska and his first college spring balls since his uh, time at Baylor. So um, been a while for him and um, getting back into the groove of things, setting that the culture and the standard foundation for everything going forward. Um, Tony White's defense, there's a bunch of stuff to get into with that as he's installing his new 335 defense. And then last thing I wanted to dive into further was the quarterback discussions uh, with Jeff Sims, um, what we've seen from him, Casey Thompson obviously being out, but still being involved in that quarterback discussion. Um, quarterbacks are going live a little more this spring than probably a lot more right. this spring than they had before. But uh, before we get into all that, How's it going, boys? Steve, what's uh, how are we feeling? Your your father, your father now. You're going through fatherhood and everything, getting no hours of sleep um, while still covering this team. How are we doing? Yeah, it's been an interesting uh, development. <laughs> me stepping into fatherhood. You are correct. The uh, sleep is limited these days, so pile Nebraska football spring on top of that, and college basketball transfer portaling news um which seems to be crazy by the way i i think college basketball is taking the cake with uh, over um college football and the transfer portal watching i mean it's just insane out there right now but anyway yeah i mean shay shay mary beth marek um february 7th for all those um keeping track at home uh that was a birthday so uh yeah really excited about it but i'm here to talk some ball and excited to do it with you guys yeah, the yeah, most you know, it, it's the been, most uh, important uh, Husker spring ball, and he's throwing uh, throwing fatherhood <laughs> on top of it. So, uh, don't envy you in that regard. But uh, congratulations again. Thank you. Greg, are we talking? Oh, I, think I, I a, didn't I know you were throwing it to me. Right. Oh, I think there's I a lag right now, so we're we're going through the inside Nebraska <laughs> technical difficulties. I, I definitely think that there's a lag, um, but that's okay. Hopefully, the the internet gods will kind of smooth that out for us. Um, it has been it's been a, a it well had not been a, quite as an eventful spring for me uh, as it has for Steve with fatherhood. Um, I did not have a newborn in the home. I'm getting my normal amount of sleep, um, but recruiting is never ending, as we always say. Um, and this staff has definitely tried to keep us on our toes with what's been happening there after having that big junior day weekend um, and kind of followed the fallout from that. And then something we'll definitely get into a little bit later uh, about all of the visitors that have been here uh, for these different spring practices and why that's important for rule but yeah it's going well for me yeah I mean like I said most important I, I I keep saying most important Husker spring ball and I mean probably since the first year the first off season in Scott Frost's tenure but um, in some ways I think this is uh, this might be even more impactful than that, because I think there was just so much hope and excitement 
um, around Frost when he was hired and it was like, this is going to work. Like there was, there was so much optimism that um, the prodigal son coming home was going to work and um, then had the four year fallout of what's happened. And now it's a facelift of the program and everything, everything feels different right now. Uh, obviously I wasn't around for the Scott Frost tenure, except for the, um, the 2022 season. But obviously, I mean, reading up on things, just hearing stories and um, the history of, of that tenure is uh, very different than what we're experiencing now. Um, but before we sort of dive deeper into those three main topics, I wanted to kind of serve it up to um, let you guys give me another of your most interesting takeaways or thoughts um, outside of those three main topics, because there's so much going on. We've, it's been so, um, so busy with different storylines and news and notes um, in our workings of the program. So Steve, what, uh, what's like one thing that stands out to you that you wanted to break down? The biggest thing to me is um, it, it's just very, very apparent to me that Matt Rule and his staff, they all have a plan and they're sticking to the plan and everybody is on the same page. They, they say the same things in interviews. And that wasn't the case um, last year with Scott Frost and his staff. Sometimes like the assistants would be saying one thing and Scott would be saying another thing up at the podium. And it was never really streamlined. Um, it wasn't ever like in a straight line. It seems like a straight line with Matt rule. And I think that's really cool to see. Um, and I think it's something that, you know, Trev Alberts who hired rule is, is really appreciative of, um, I, I think Trev is, is a guy who is absolutely loving what he's seeing from Matt rule, Matt rule and his crew. And, you know, when I say everything, every, like he has a plan, you know, everything is intentional too. And I think that's kind of a mark, a staple of Matt rule. And that goes from, you know, the football team to the conditioning drills, the, the competition week that they did in the off season, all the way down to social media posts, um, tweets, videos. I mean, remember, remember when Heinrich Harburg, everybody was talking about him changing positions. Is he going to be a, a tight end? Is he going to go on defense and become an edge rusher? Well, that when that same week, all of a sudden that video popped up of him running the option and scoring a touchdown as a as a quarterback, a quarterback. And so every, I mean, everything has a, um, a, you know, just it has a purpose. And I think that's really cool to see from uh, Matt Rule, who I think has done this at each stop, Temple Baylor. Um, you know, maybe throw Caroline out the window. I don't know if it, obviously his way of doing things didn't really seem to click in the NFL. Um, but I think he's a college guy through and through now and he learned his lessons and, you know, he learned from his, um, all of his stops and, you know, I think Nebraska, they got a good one is what I'm trying to say. And I, I really like that he seems to have a plan and it's very intentional. Yeah. And it's interesting, Steve, because my, the thing that has stuck with me so far for this first part um, of spring ball kind of dovetails off of that. You, you use the word intentional, which I think is perfect to describe rule and kind of his staff and kind of this large op apparatus of people that he has kind of working for him over there. Um, and another thing that has been very intentional that I, it, it kind of took, has taken me by surprise a little bit is the amount of people that we've seen at practice or that we know of that have been at practice um, high school and local college coaches and, you know, high school prospects and signees, right? Like it's, it's all of it. Like you do like, and you, we knew because kind of leading into spring, Matt rule talked about, you know, how could you commit to me to, to play for me here at Nebraska and never come see us practice. So you kind of had that little inkling, right. That they were going to have a lot of recruits kind of come through the program and they do need to do that because Pete, like rule has also said, people are curious about 
about what's happening right now with the program and they want to see it, right? And the best way for those guys to sell what they do, it's not to do a bunch of talking and do a bunch of flashy stuff that way. It's for you to actually get here, see what Lincoln is like, see what the campus and the facilities are like, and then see how those guys coach up close. I think that's the winning formula for them. Um, and so we knew that. We knew that was coming. The part that has surprised me is, is I get like the amount of people, the amount of kids that have come, the amount of current guys that have already signed, like, you know, seeing um, Jaden Doss pop up from Missouri, uh, Malachi Coleman, I feel like is there as much as rule is. It feels <laughs> like he's always there uh, to the point where people are asking me on Twitter, like, does he go to school? Um, Steve made this great point to me. Uh, one day it's like, hey, man, it's different when you're a senior. Um, senior yeah. is a thing. I remember when I was a senior in high school, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything at all. I mean, it would be pretty cool for you not doing anything to be going to your future college's practices on what feels yep. like a daily basis. That's awesome. Um, I would have loved to have done that. So, yeah. But I think that that's actually a great sign, though, that he wants to be there that often. And these guys seem to want to come around. Um, and it feels like every like local commitment uh, we've seen uh, or signee we've seen there. But also on the coach side of things, like we've seen entire staffs. I think the Omaha West Side staff was there at practice yesterday, um, along with a handful of their players. Um, we've seen Midland um, University coaching staff out there. Like we've just seen a number of coaches come through. And that also goes to something that is intentional by Matt Rule. He's done this at Temple and Baylor as well. He says he wants to put on the best clinics. Um, he wants to be a program that has kind of an open campus policy. And he's definitely shown that so far. That's been a huge takeaway for me um, from a recruiting standpoint, because I think that it will pay dividends down the road for the program. Yeah, the coaches clinic over the weekend, 300, 400 um, coaches, he said that they had on campus um, or at the clinic. And I think that um, it's an extra it's an extra data point with what you guys are talking about, that there's um, interest in how things are how things are being run, how things are going. And then coming out of that interest, like people being whether it's recruits, coaches, parents, um, coming out of that interest is that that phrase buy-in where it, whatever phrase you want to use it's just like a belief like okay um i actually think this could work because that's i said that early on to you guys um i think maybe around late february early march before spring spring ball even got rolling um one of the prevailing thoughts in my head after um it was only press conferences and you sit there, watch and listen. And I was telling you guys, like, it's not how they're saying the things they're saying. It's what they're saying to where each time, like Steve said, it was that message that was that we talked about last year where um, the messaging was kind of scattered. And um, this it, the, throughout the last few months, it just it feels like that message is being carried out across from top down. I mean, we talked about um, during the coaching search and then when it was over that Trev Alberts wanted someone that was going to share his vision they were going to be in line and I don't know if you'll see too many <laughs> athletic director head coach relationships that seem so um, in line with each other than they do and then it goes from rule to his uh, his assistant coaches and then his support staff and then that tr has trickled down uh, to the players when we hear them talk um, I mean it was interesting to hear uh, I think it yeah, it was Sat Marcus Satterfield, for instance, talking about the number one thing he wanted out of the quarterbacks um was to take care of the ball and 
consistency. And then Jeff Sims takes the podium and he talks about the, his number one thing he wanted to work on the off season is consistency. And it's like, okay, well, there it is. We wanted to see some consistent messaging and literally we see the consistent messaging right there is just one example because there's, that's one of many examples we've seen. Um, and I think that is, is making some impressions on recruits and, uh, and different coaches throughout, uh, throughout this early portion of spring ball. But speaking of impressions, that's one of the main topics we wanted to sort of dive into, uh, because we've had, that's another thing is we've had a little more access than I think, uh, um, than you guys have had in the past. You guys have been around a lot longer. Um, and we've had three open practices so far, three of four open practices that we'll have this spring, um, like 30 to 40 minute open windows. And in totality, we've gotten about uh, approximately around about 100 minutes of open practice time. Um, I think that first one was definitely the one where we saw the most, but um, just overall, um, whether it's open practice, press conferences that uh, where rules um, available and players assistant, Steve, what's like, what are some of the impressions or observations that sort of um, been standing out the most throughout throughout the first uh, nine practices? Yeah, the uh, thing that I keep going back to is the offensive line. Donovan Riola returns for his second season. I think it's that's a very good thing. I know a lot of a lot of the fan base is kind of torn on whether Don, Donnie is is good or not. Um, but I, I think whether he's good or not, um, it doesn't really matter to me. I, th I think that him coming back for a second season and having some sort of continuity with the offensive line is going to help that unit in general. And those those kids, those offensive linemen, clearly, clearly. Clears day have Donnie's back and they like him and they think he's a good coach. So that's, that's good enough for me. I mean, the fan base can think whatever it wants about Donnie Rilla, but at the end of the day, if the players are playing hard for him, that's, that's all you can ask. And I think, I think Nebraska is going to see a step forward with the offensive line. I truly think so. Because at the end of the day, you know, you can talk about the quarterbacks, you can start, you can talk about the skill positions, all the good running backs that they have the intriguing receivers that they have that tight end room looks awesome. Tight squad. Um, yeah, it does. Yeah. So none of that really matters though, unless the offensive line can take a step forward from what it showed last year. And with a guy like Ben Scott coming, coming into the picture, an experienced guy, um, 28, 28 career starts, I think at Arizona state 17 at right tackle 11 at center if he can come in and be that guy, that leader, that quarterback of the offensive line group at center, um, you know, I, I think that that's a really good place to start. And there's a lot of different combinations that can come with that offensive line. And I, I like a lot of them, honestly. Um, you know, Rule brought up Bryce Benhart being a NFL player in his eyes. And he brought up confidence. And I think that was really, really interesting. It got it got the fan base kind of up in arms, honestly, on social media because you know, really nobody thought that Bryce Benhart out of out of Nebraska's offensive lineman, Bryce Benhart would be the one that that rule kind of gives a shout out to and says he sees a potential NFL player. But uh, you know, I just think with the news, uh, it goes back to rules plan. What what I was talking about previously. Um, and that plan involves strength and conditioning and having these guys 
maybe trim down. And that's exactly what we've seen with Bryce Benhart, you know, six foot nine, 330 pounds. I bet he's not 330 pounds anymore. And I bet he can move, move quicker. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we've seen Bryce walk around. He looks damn good. He looks looks very, very good. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure, I'm sure he moves a lot better. And so there's just going to be a lot, obviously the results will need to be shown in the fall. Right now it's all talk. Spring is all talk. And I don't care what we see in the spring game, honestly. I, I care about what he's going to look like at Minnesota in late August. So I don't know. I, I just think that the offensive line is going to take a step forward. And to me, the overarching theme of this spring is the offensive line that I'm most kind of interested in. And, you know, like I said before, there's a lot of different combinations, especially on those interior spots. Teddy Prohaska at left tackle, kind of a question mark. He he hasn't shown in his whole career that he, that he's been able to go through a full season. So that's a major question mark, but if you can lock down that left tackle spot that, I mean, you can just piece together a pretty solid looking offensive line. And I did the math. I think Nebraska has returning about 120 career starts. That's gotta be upwards towards like the top in the nation. And that's for sure. Um, maybe the most career returning starts in the conference in the big 10. So I don't know. I think, I think there's a lot of potential with this offensive line. They're old, they're experienced. I don't know. That's, that's my big, that's my big takeaway of the spring right now. The thing that I'm kind of most interested in because the quarterbacks are easy. We can talk about quarterbacks all day. There's competition there, but if the offensive line doesn't take a step forward, nothing else matters on the offense, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think that to me, the offensive line and kind of starting there, I think makes a a ton of sense. And I do, I'm glad you brought up the point about the 120 starts um, because I think that it it, it feels like people like don't either appreciate that right now or even really bring it up that it's, it's a veteran group. This isn't a group it's, and it's a, it's a veteran group that got their coach back, which should in theory, in normal college football world, that's something that should prompt a step forward right like and so I think that I think you're right on I, I agree with you that the offensive line should take a step forward um but I ultimately agree with your your biggest point which is we got to see it in the fall before you really start to believe it and I know that people will jump on us for even like suggesting that they're going to take a step forward um but the offensive line is not my biggest overarching thing though I do like talking about offensive line play um it's actually this turn that we started to see from Matt Rule and I think that at first we kind of saw like Matt Rule like kind of the statesman that was kind of the rah-rah guy where he was kind of going out there and he was barnstorming the state, right? And he was going around, you know, he was making all these appearances and you kind of saw him building up a lot of goodwill for the program. And then you kind of saw that turn into like what Steve was talking about with the confidence building. And I think that that's continued to go. But what I just saw in the last press conference is the thing that I think is the most important thing I've seen so far, maybe. And it, it stems from this quote from Matt Rule, quote, we're just trying to change the expectation level of our guys. We're not here to try hard. We're not here to lose and thank the fans. I'm going to read that again. We're not here to lose and thank the fans. We're here to win. And I think that that to me, and I'm saying this to you guys kind of off pod ahead of time. I think it bugs Matt Rule 
that people just automatically assume that because it's Matt Rule and he's been a program builder, he's going to come here and it's going to be three or four years before Nebraska, you know, is competitive out there. I think that bothers him. I think that he it also clearly bothers him that people don't think his players are any good. He seems to have taken that personally as if he recruited them, which I guess is a good thing because you do want your coach to kind of go to battle for his guys. But you would think that he brought Bryce Benhart in himself. Um, which I think is ultimately a good thing that he seems to feel that way. And so I think it bugs him that people don't think that they can win right away. And that's put a, not necessarily a chip on his shoulder, but I think that he's starting to remind people, Hey, it may seem like, you know, things are a little bit more open and I might be a nicer guy and I'm going to hockey games and I'm cheering on the basketball team. And they were over at softball yesterday, but when it comes down to it, we're here to win football games. Like that's what we're here for. And I think that to me was really, really interesting to see because on one hand, you've got to instill the confidence and you clearly have to build that up within this team. But the next step to that is, is they have to believe that they can win. And I don't know if this is another situation where Rule got good advice, because I feel like someone is like either helping him with some of this stuff, or he just like is the most intuitive person on earth. But that's something that we've talked about, right? That this team needed that sort of confidence and they needed to believe that they could win. Um, so I think that's really important. I think that especially the thing, the, the part to me, if we're not here to try hard um, or lose and thank the fans. I think the people have gotten a little too accustomed to that part that portion of nebraska football the last few years um and it feels like we're trending in the right direction of that getting out of the program yeah i mean real quick on the comment that uh rule or that you said um feels like rule almost gets offended when um when people criticize the players as if he recruited them himself he he kind of did in a way to have the conversations with uh with them when he first got here and I don't remember the quote um, verbatim and I don't have it in front of me, but paraphrasing, he said that every guy on that team in that locker room now is, is his guy because they all chose to stay and um, grind through this first off season. Um, obviously we're going to see an exodus of players in the transfer portal um, or the other rules that he's talked about to trim that roster down to the 85 come fall. But um, that was just one thing that uh, kind of came to my mind when you were talking about that is he said, these are, these are all my guys now. Um, so this is who we're working with. This is, uh, this is who we're going to build the foundation with. And that's what I'm glad you brought up yesterday's press conference. We're recording here uh, on Friday and I'm going to publish this or post this probably Sunday or Monday. Um, but that press conference was really illuminating to me. I, I thought it was preloaded with um, not just insight, but like you said, that was the biggest takeaway for me because it feels like throughout um, throughout the entire December, January, and, and uh, February, March, all this time, like he hasn't really talked up front about winning that much. Um, like he hasn't talked about winning that often. Um, in his in his press conferences and um he then when we um did stories and um uh recaps of visits and you hear that the um one of the pitches to dylan rayola and his family is that um we're gonna win and we think we can win we're gonna win now and it's like oh okay like that's like the um that's sort of a, a key pitch to some of their recruits but it wasn't we're going to win 
down the road if you come here, that type of thing. It was, we're going to win now. And then to hear him say it publicly um, like that, it was like, I like rewound it because I'm like, okay, here we go. Like that, that kind of shows you something that I think um, he's, I don't know. I think the overarching thought was like you guys said that the first year was going to be rough. Like the first year was going to be rough. Like it was at Temple and Baylor, but the way college football is set up now at the transfer portal, um, especially NIL, I, I, I think it's, I think that can allow for a bit of a quicker um, foundation being laid. I mean, I don't think they're going to go out and go nine and three or eight and four. <laughs> like they're not going to be probably competing for a big 10 title this year. In, in my opinion, but maybe the opinion of that staff is they can, uh, they can have a lot more of a successful first year than, um, than we thought going into spring ball, which hearing him also talk about how spring ball is his favorite time of year. Um, I thought that caught my, that caught my ear too, because we talk about how important, um, these, these 15 practices are and, um, whether I be the tackling, the, um, the culture buy-in, all that, all that good stuff, uh, all that stood out to me. So it was, um, hearing him say, we're, we're not here, we're not here to lose and thank the fans. We're here to win. It was pretty, uh, pretty impactful statement from him. Yeah, but you know, the, the thing too, though, is and there's so much there in, in this stuff just with rule, because to me, him saying, like coming out there right away and saying that spring is the most, like his favorite time of the year and practice is the most important word in his program. You know what that also does? That puts the players on alert. Like, hey, we better take this mess seriously because we like our coach wakes up excited every day about practice. Like he wants us to get in here and work and get better every day. He's going to be and, and we've also seen he and him and his staff go out there and get after it and recruiting. We saw the hours they were putting in. We go, oh, then we go out on the practice field and we see Matt Rule getting on Bob Wager or he's getting on Ed Foley and trying to get them better and they're doing it for each to each other. Like we've got to be on alert. Like it just I feel like everything that he's doing to Steve's point, original point is intentional and it all builds itself to the team ultimately getting better and that's why i agree with what both of you have said is that nebraska really feels like they got a good one like i feel like that initial hype of you know like excitement of oh okay they got a new coach like like things are going to be better it's going to be great that kind of has already for a lot of people myself included been pushed to the side and now you're kind of in the nitty-gritty of everything and i think that the things that we're seeing i think support those like initial feelings, which is a very good sign for Nebraska football. And one, one yeah. real quick thing before you go, Steve, because I, I just realized that in my incoherent Billy Madison style rambling that uh, I forgot to actually say the one thing that I've told you guys um, like privately that throughout that entire time leading up to spring ball, there was just what the coaches were saying, like not how they said it, but what they were saying is my prevailing thought was okay, like this is, this feels like this is exactly what this program needs, what this team needs. And I'm like, I just, I think it's going to work. Like, that's what my prevailing thought was like um, going into spring ball was, I just have a feeling this, this read on it, just um, gut and head is telling me that this is going to work. That rule is the right man for the job because of all the, the things he's done and what the, what he's been building so far. Um, but so you don't want to get ahead of yourself because he's never, they've never played an actual game. They've, 
He's never won a game at Nebraska. He's never lost a game. So you don't want to get ahead of yourself. But um, I am, I've, I open myself up to the belief that like, okay, I think, I think this staff is the right one that's in play that needs to be in place for this team and this program going forward. And we'll, we'll see if all of these uh, standards are setting and um, things that are changing within that program and that culture, see if it's going to work. Yeah. And, and just one, one last thing I forgot to mention when I was talking about the offensive line before we can move on, but what, what Greg was talking about confidence and everything being intentional with rule and everything having a purpose, like Matt rule just doesn't do things like his, his assistants don't just do things. The social media team doesn't just put things out. Everything has a meaning. And I remember, I think it was a very, it was a second one uh, on the sixth floor of Memorial stadium, Matt rules, maybe first press conference in Memorial stadium. I asked him, you know, what his, what are his thoughts on the offensive line? And this was way in, I think November or December, maybe it was a signing day presser, but he immediately defended his guys. He immediately said it wasn't their fault. The offensive line I thought was pretty good. The strength and conditioning program needed to be better. And the play calling needed to be better. We, he said that Nebraska hit his offense needs to cater to what the offensive linemen are good at. And um, maybe it wasn't like that way under Mark Whipple and Scott Frost last year. So I think that, you know, he just, he, he has an idea of what he wants to do. And, you know, to his point where talking up his guys, calling Bryce Benhart an NFL player, um, you know, I just think that the confidence he's, part of the deal is getting in front of a microphone and publicly defending the guys and, and having their backs. Cause I don't think it was like, it was as vocal last year. Um, it's pretty vocal right now with Matt rule and what he's trying to do. He's trying to pump up his guys. He's trying to give them inject confidence in front of the media and on the practice field. And, you know, with the whole strength and conditioning program under Corey, Corey Campbell and, you know, with Marcus Satterfield and what he's planning to do on offense, I'm sure there's a big there's a big emphasis on running plays, running schemes that he feels the offensive linemen are good at, not doing things that they aren't good at. So I, I just wanted to put that out there because I think it's really important that he told us basically in December all of that stuff right away, right off the bat. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, one last uh, thought and then we can move on is – um, you guys both mentioned the strength and conditioning uh, aspect and Corey Campbell. And I just, that's something I think it's, it's funny. Cause I don't feel like we talk about it enough. Like any, like, especially us three, I think, I think we mention it, but then like, don't dive into it um, because it's something that we don't really get behind the scenes look at. Um, but I do think that was probably the number one or number two. I mean, changing the mindset of the team and um, then also the strength and conditioning program changing something there and there are those are probably the two biggest things um that needed to happen this off season and part of the growth and part of the foundation being laid um, for this program going forward and um, they're changing things up and in um in that aspect of the program hiring a nutrition staff um and Kristen Coggin I think is her name I might be getting yeah. that wrong um it is okay might be getting pronunciation wrong or something but uh th I think that's even another underlying part of this entire um this entire program is um all the resources and time devoted to that devoted to that change and that ties right into the offensive line because um we talked about it again um with last year of 
it does it's not just a one year change like donovan rayola took over and it's like especially the offensive line if those guys aren't um being trained um in the most optimal way then it's not going to work and it's going to take multiple off seasons for that to happen so i think we're seeing the I think we're seeing those changes right now. Um, but just to move on, um, because we um, we have a couple more topics that um, have really kind of taken center stage throughout the first uh, this first half of, of spring ball. And uh, the second one that we want to cover is the Tony White defense, um, because we've spent all this time talking about Matt Rule, offensive line, all these things, and haven't really spent much time on the defense. Um, but that's another um, huge area that's being implemented that the first steps are being, are being made this um, new three, three, five defense guys moving around on that defense. Some offensive players coming over to the defense, like AJ Rollins going from tight end to defensive line is one example, but um, we kind of want to run through all three levels of the defense and um, Steve out. No, you, you can kick us off and take it where you want to take it. Um, with with uh what's been on your mind about this implementation of new defense yeah so what i wanted to um start this off with was i think it's a pretty big change from what tony white is wanting to do compared to eric shenander slash bill bush i think what tony white wants to do is with his just so everyone just looks at the three three five those three numbers obviously they're not always going to be a three-man front there's going to be an outside linebacker, if you want to call it Jack, like the players have called it, we can call it the Jack, slide down there and create a four-man front. You can have a five-man front by bringing down another linebacker or rover safety. There's just so much, so many different things that this defense can do that I think people might forget that they aren't just going to line up and it's not going to, like if you looked at the all-22 film, it's just going to be three defensive linemen, three linebackers, and five defensive backs. It's not going to look like that. So when people say, are, are they going to be able to stop the Big Ten run rushing offense is like, yeah, I think they can, but it's just not, it's going to be in a different way than what we're all used to. If you look at uh, Syracuse's defense where Tony White came from, you know, he had, you know, your, your typical five foot 11, 265 pound nose tackle. That guy was just an absolute dog, but he did his job really, really well by playing head up on the center and, you know, just being a dog down there. But you know what what I want to um start this off is I, I think they're not gonna be two gapping anymore, which I think what Eric Schneider might have been doing, which is why the defensive linemen were these big that they they got their weights way up. They're they're really strong and physical defensive linemen. Um but I think with Tony White they want everybody slimmer slimmed down. They want more movement up front and that that means to me at least more shooting gaps instead of two gapping. So I think they're they're going to put a lot of guys at the line of scrimmage. They're going to try to shoot gaps. They're going to try to get in the backfield and make plays and you know reroute run, reroute running 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 backs and just just create havoc in the in the offensive backfield. So that's why I wanted to start off and we can start off with the defensive line and we can get your guys' thoughts on who we think might get out there. But obviously Nash Hutmacher coming back is really really big. Um, Ty Robinson is out for the spring right now, but he's obviously going to be out there. I really think Ty Robinson is a guy who might take a step forward, um, working, reworking on his reshaping his body. Same thing with Nash Hutmacher, who might be around 300 pounds. He played, he played at like 325, 330 last year. 
Um, Elijah Judy is a transfer from Texas A&M that I think a lot of people aren't really talking about right now, but I think he could be a pretty, pretty big piece up there. Stefan Wynn, who was here last year, former transfer from Alabama. He's here. So there are some bodies, um, but you know, the depth at, at those, um, three, three, uh, spots, I think maybe kind of lacks, but not because of lack of bodies, just because of experience. Maybe there's just not a lot of experience there. So, um, you know, we can, we can talk more on that, but what are your guys thoughts on the D line? I, I, I kind of like Nash Hutmacher. I really, really think that he's going to be taking a step forward. Um, he's going to be leaned on a lot. I think Matt rule has said a lot of good things this spring about Nash Hutmacher. So any thoughts on the, on the D line? Yeah, for for me, I, I've come around or I, I've gone back and forth on this so far this offseason or this spring about which group between the offensive and defensive line I was more concerned about and which one is kind of the key to the team. As of right now, we're recording this on Friday, April 7th. I'm going to say that I feel much better about the offensive line than I do the defensive line. And part of it is what you just said in that I the some of the material I think is fine there. I, I, I don't know that they have like a, a top line first or second team, all big 10 type of player. Um, Ty Robinson is supposed to be that, but it would be great if Ty Robinson was out there this spring, um, but he's dealing with some stuff, even though we've seen him kind of working off to the side in those yellow jerseys, because I, I can't believe none of us brought that up. They're seeing that in practice and seeing everybody be active. Like, unless you're in a cast, you're going to be out there like doing stuff. And so I found that really interesting. And so Ty Robinson has been one of those guys we've seen him, but just not doing like football stuff, right? He's on the air bike and stuff. Um, and so if he becomes that guy and Nash Hutmacher continues to take the steps that you kind of feel like is happening based off like kind of seeing his body being reshaped, hearing Rule and uh, Terrence Knighton talk about him. And I think honestly, most importantly, what we've seen, like what we've heard from Nash Hutmacher this spring, like I liked a lot of the stuff he said in that in that post-practice interview he had. I'm talking with his leadership and talking about him taking more ownership of that group. And, you know, it's not about, you know, the coaches want us to do this and we're trying to do that. No, what they're saying is what we do. Um, I'm paraphrasing. Like, I thought that that was really impactful. Um, Elijah Judy, like, should be a big part of this defense. You've got guys like Ruquan Buckley, A.J. Rollins making noise. We'll find out if that's a spring camp storyline um, or if that's actually real. Um, but if he can just be a rotational guy, that gives you a lot of help. And so the defensive line to me is the big concern. But there are ways that you can kind of massage that and kind of get around it because of this 335 defense. And that's the thing that I think that we like can sometimes get lost in that I think, and I don't like maybe this is like a hot take, maybe it's not. Tony White was the best coach that Matt Rule hired. Like, I think a lot of Tony White, and I think that he's a future head coach, and I think he's the number one guy on the staff that's a future head coach. And so if he is that guy, He's going to figure it out. That's what happens around college football with these really high-end assistant coaches and coordinators. They end up figuring it out. So I, I do have confidence and faith that he'll be able to do that in part because of the scheme and the kind of the havoc that it can create. And I think Jamari Butler kind of called it organized chaos or said it's a lot of moving pieces um, the other day. And I think that that can help the defensive line until they can really get more of those difference makers in the program. Yeah, I mean, my overarching thoughts about the defense is something that Steve talked about, and it's that speed. Um, they want to be every guy that you talk to, um, every one, every defensive player. It feels like that's been um, available for these post-practice interviews has talked about 
how fast it is, how fast moving and how they want speed um, on the, on the defense. I mean, just John Bullock yesterday, the walk on linebacker was talking about it. Um, how, how, like you said, chaotic it's, it is. And, but in a good way, like it's organized chaos and it's, it's fast. And I mean, rule talked about it recently that he kind of put a number on it and said, I want, I, I want 18, 19, 20 guys um, to be in rotation. We'll see if that happens, but um, whether it's 18, 19, 20, the point is clear that they want, to be a fast moving defense that rotates and keeps guys fresh. And um, you hear about that, like with the Chip Kelly offense comes to mind of like getting it moving fast and um, going up tempo. It's like, how do you do that on a defense? Well, I guess we're going to see because that's the plan. Um, but with, with the defensive line specifically, um, and this can kind of get into the talk about the outside linebackers, that Jack position, which, uh, yeah, we found out that, it sounds like the label for that that hybrid linebacker defensive end spot's going to be the Jack. Um, that's what MJ Sherman called it a few times in his presser. Um, and but so maybe it's uh, getting into or bleeding over into that a little bit. But what I took away was yesterday when Rule was talking, um, he started talking about the early enrollees, and he said normally you notice that they're early enrollees, but uh, but these guys. Um, these guys have been standing out. I mean, they have six early enrollees, so it's a small group, but um, he talked about on defense, he talked about um, Cam Lenhart and Prince Will, Uman Yellen and Maverick Noonan. And this is something we analyzed or we're projecting like throughout um, pre-spring when we're talking about like the most interesting players to watch um, or most intriguing and that defensive line, the numbers are thin, especially this spring. Like you said, with Ty Robinson being out, um, and I think noticing that we noticed that in and and Blaze Gunnerson. Yep, I knew I was forgetting somebody. Um, and seeing those freshmen, the uh, Cam and Cameron and Prince, Princewell especially, um, those two guys look like um, they looked. I thought they looked impressive, more impressive physically than I. Um, than I thought. I just, I mean, just they're coming in as true freshmen. You think like you kind of have that stereotype in your head where they're going to need some time to develop, but they actually, they look impressive physically. And to hear rules say that um, those two guys have spent a lot of time on our first string. They're outstanding players. Um, he did say that maybe they won't help us this year. Um, who knows? It's kind of wait till training camp to make those kind of decisions. But um said that those early enrollees have a chance to really help us. And if they're going to be rotating defensive linemen and uh, just the defense as a whole, as much as they are, and if they have those thin numbers up front, then maybe, maybe we do see those, those guys have more of an impact or more, get, see more snaps than we originally thought. Um, again, these are spring storylines we talk about, and it could be wiped away come fall camp because a lot of guys, like Rule said, guys make big jumps over the summer. Some others don't. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see if any of those to the do. portal and grab a, a big guy as well, right? Like you, just, like you probably. If it's not the worst thing in the world, if you end up uh, hearing about, say, Prince Will right now, and then he doesn't play in the fall, if on the back end of that they got another big guy or two in the portal, right? Like that would that would be fine. Same thing with the offensive line. They need some backup tackles. <laughs> Right. The problem there's is just, trying it's to, very thin. 
everyone in the world wants those guys at tackle um, and the defensive linemen. It's just so tough that the two spots that they need bodies at are the two toughest things um, to get in the portal. It's like gold, Jerry. Transfers are gold. Transfer tackles, offense tackles. But anyway, yeah. we can we can uh, slide down to the to the d- defense right now at inside linebacker. Luke Reimer, he's he's back. Nick Henrik, he's back, but Nick is out for the spring. He's not practicing. I'm really intrigued by um, Chief Borders, the transfer from Florida. I'm I really like the look of a Luke Reimer and Chief Borders um, kind of two man inside linebacker uh, r- crew. I. I that's awesome to me. I mean, we've seen Chief Borders, who absolutely looks the part uh, when we got to see him during the open portions of spring ball. Uh, you know, six foot four, two hundred forty pounds. He looks amazing. I mean, he's very physical. He has joy in life and joy in football. Um, he's very, very loud. Always has a smile on. I think he's going to be a fan favorite. I think he's going to be pretty good. I really like uh, Chief Borders uh, right now. Um, but also, I mean. We have to bring up Eric Fields, right? I mean, there there has there there isn't a 2023 class recruit uh, signee who gets more um, attention and more shout outs from the coaching staff than Eric Fields, right? I mean, uh, Greg, you're the recruiting guy, you know, so you you did a nice story on him and and where he came from in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Not a lot of teams go to Ardmore, Oklahoma to find uh, football players. So, um, I mean. He's violent. He's fast. He's like a, he, I think I called him a, a football seeking missile on, on the inside Nebraska message board. But do we think that Eric Fields might find his way into the rotation and maybe get some snaps this fall? I mean, it on paper, when you look at it, it's like a true freshman inside linebacker. No, but I mean, these huddle, these huddle highlights are insane and, and really fun to watch. I, I think, um, you know, Tony White called him a chess piece which, you know, he, who knows what he could grow into when they, when he, when Corey Campbell gets his hands on him and, uh, you know, put some muscle on his frame and maybe gets him up to 225, 230 pounds at six foot one, six, two. That's really, really intriguing. And maybe a future Rover in the making. I don't know, but I'm, do we think that he could maybe see some action this fall or is that, um, maybe just a little, little, we're having too much fun with the idea of him. <laughs> I I like him to end up finding himself into a rotation. If okay. if for nothing else, then he's the speed that he has can give Nebraska at that second level, I think will be a big deal. And one thing, and it's funny that you did it, Steve, because I've been doing this and I'm trying not to and thinking about the second level of the defense is I keep thinking of these guys as two inside linebacker pairing, right? So thinking about it as Henrich and Reimer um, being guys that are the two guys in the middle of your defense, and then maybe you've Mm -hmm. got two outside, two edge guys. They don't have that anymore, right? So having those three guys, now it can look a little different and you can configure that a little bit differently. So maybe your three guys are, you know, you've got Reimer in the middle and then you've got Henrich on one side and then you've got borders on the other and then or maybe Jamari Butler is kind of in that mix or MJ Sherman um, Eric Fields coming in the mix too like there's a lot of like you said chess pieces that you can move around and I think that that's actually exciting for the prospects of what this team can do defensively because I think you do have a lot of versatility and that's even before you get to and that was probably about six guys that we just rattled off but that's before you get to something um, that Terrence Knight and then I think Rob Dvorak have mentioned about those guys on the first level of the defense on the defensive line that can also slide in slide back into linebacker type roles like Maverick Noonan and others um and so I do think that that's really intriguing but to answer the original question yes I think that Eric Fields could play and be in the rotation um because I think that he 
just on the surface, he's got something that a couple of those guys that are already in the program just don't have. And that's that type of speed um, is something that rule covets at that position. And that's going to at least put him in the mix uh, for playing time. And before we go on, just so clarity on Eric Fields, he's not here for the spring. He's going to be a summer guy, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, you're right with the, with the linebackers is going to be really interesting what it looks like because a guy like, MJ Sherman could be at the second level. He could rock down to the line of scrimmage and play the mm-hmm. edge outside linebacker jack spot. Um, same with uh, um, Chief Orders, too. At 240 pounds, mm-hmm. I asked him when he was at the podium, he can go down to the line of scrimmage, and he seemed pretty excited about the opportunity to go up against you know, a Big Ten offensive offensive tackle or a guard and, and kind of put that on tape for his, um, you know, for NFL scouts and see that he can. He's a big boy, and he can go down there and, and hold his own on the line of scrimmage. So he's another guy that could – line up to Luke Reimer on one Luke Reimer on one play. And depending on what the offense shows with their personnel, their formation, he can roll down to the line of scrimmage if they need another uh, body down there to create that four man line or that five man line. So a lot of different um, opportunities there. Yeah. Then before we move on, just a couple more points uh, on, on that. I mean, you talking about the Jack and uh, talking about MJ Sherman, Jamari Butler. I wanted to just talk real briefly about that potential combo, because I know I've, I've talked about it and said it so many times. Uh, it's probably getting annoying that um, they're losing so much production and so much experience at the edge spot, which is now obviously um, not what they call it, but si- uh, similar enough to where you're losing um, Garrett Nelson and uh, Oshawn Mathis, Caleb Tanner. So they need to find um, replacements as far as like, as far as impactful pass rushers and, um, the fact that we're seeing this MJ Sherman, Jamari Butler combo um, is, I think that's pretty exciting. Uh, still, um, still chemistry to build there, but they're already building that up. Uh, and that was another takeaway from rules presser yesterday talking about um, pretty much alluded. Well, he called Jamari Butler, one of our best pass rushers. And then he alluded to Elijah Judy running with the ones. Um, so I think we expected those sorts of things, but um, we actually heard him say it uh, as far as Judy making uh, a, a day one impact, because I think Greg, you've talked about it. Elijah Judy needs to make um, a big impact for this, this defense, this defensive line to be um, as for this whole defense to work. The defensive line needs to, the, uh, the big guys up front need to make that, that impact. And then, Last thing about Eric Fields, yeah, I agree with you guys um, about the speed-wise because I think the way they want this defense to work, like we just talked about, um, flying around and using um, speed as the main weapon, I think that you could see um, see some snaps, see a role for for Eric Fields with a guy with with that type of uh, that type of athletic talent. And, and don't forget, it's that's not unheard of to, for just in very, very recent history at Nebraska of a true freshman um, inside-ish linebacker to come on the scene um, and end up playing. And Steve's smiling. He knows where I'm going. Like, the guy's not here. So it's kind of like Voldemort. But uh, Ernest Hausman definitely did this same thing that we're kind of thinking that Eric Fields could do um, this coming season. And with that change in scheme, I think that he's right in line to be able to do something like that uh, come the summer. Part of that, though, of course, will depend on what he's doing right now right like is he getting himself ready physically uh to be able to hit the ground running when he gets here in the summer we don't know that you can never know but knowing him um through the recruiting process i feel fairly confident that he's getting after it um in the offseason here 
another one getting after it is that uh, former Husker linebacker you mentioned, Ernie Hausman, uh, the Columbus native. He had a pretty good Michigan Michigan spring game. I don't know if y'all caught that, but yeah, five tackles, know. right? Yeah, he, I think it was like eight or something like that. He had most okay. out of the whole team um, for the uh, the Maze team or whatever they call it up there. But anyway, uh, so yeah, uh, he's he's joining a loaded. I don't don't mean to make this the Ernest Hausman segment, but he's joining a loaded uh, room at Michigan. Uh, inside linebacking room um, but uh, yeah we'll see how much he plays I'm I don't know I'm rooting for the guy I hope he does well that's probably that's probably bad to say on a Nebraska football podcast but you know I, I cover these things on I try to do it unbiasedly so I, I hope he excels up there but I'm sure I'll get yelled at by the board message board members here at inside Nebraska <laughs> yes yes you will I predict that you will well you can get back in their good graces by talking about your favorite position Steve and that's nickel um, we probably move over there and uh, um, take it from there. I know you lo- how much you love that, like uh, tracking that position, talking about it. So you yeah. uh, you start us off. Yeah, well, we'll let's just start with the corners. Let's get the corners out of the way because I think we already know them. So so Quentin Newsom and I know Malcolm Hartzog. He got a shout out from Tony White that he was you know being a really good. He was having a really good spring as a, as kind of a versatile piece, um, moving around different to different areas. He was playing outside corner. He was moving into the slot as kind of that nickel slot corner. He was playing some at safety, but everybody is, everybody is moving around. They're trying the, these, these coaches are trying dif- different players at different spots just to see if something sticks. That doesn't mean that they're going to be. So if, if, if we were told that Ma- Malcolm Hartzog was playing at safety, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's j- going to change positions um, and, and, and just, be a safety now. I I fully expect Malcolm Hartzog and Quentin Newsom to be the two starting corners uh, this fall for Nebraska. Now with that out of the uh, backup wise, I bet I bet Brax, Braxton Clark uh, might might still be there. He's been a backup for a long time here. Um, he hasn't really quite um, got over that hump to to start, but uh, Quentin Newsom I think is an NFL guy, and uh, Malcolm Hartzog. You know, how can he keep him off the field? Um, he he's I think he's got a heck of a future here and at Nebraska is kind of a, a smaller guy, but he plays a lot bigger than his stature. Tommy Hill moving back, back over to, to corner, um, kind of a, a weird season for him last year. He was a starter, um, from day one at that corner spot, lost his job, got benched, moved over to the offense, was a receiver. And, uh, Matt rule has moved him back to corner, uh, this, this spring. So, Kind of an interesting story that nobody really is really talking about, but I think it's because everybody's kind of off of Tommy Hill now. But I don't, I don't want to give up on him just yet. I he's he's really talented. I, I still think he's got a lot of athleticism. Um, I just think, uh, I don't know. I, I, maybe maybe some better coaching. Maybe maybe uh, Evan Cooper is is the guy to get through to him and and maybe get his head on correctly, straight more more tight than it was. I don't even know if that was the issue last year. Um, but I, I'm long story short, I'm not ready to give up on Tommy, Tommy Hill. I kind of like his athleticism and what he brings. Uh, but yeah, with that um, being said, the corners out of the way, we can talk about this uh, three, three safety lineup that Tony White's three, three, five is going to have. And one of them is going to be that rover position, when I, which I'm super, super interested in my, my favorite to win that job right now is miles farmer. Now I know a lot of people are torn on miles farmer. Cause he's not, not as fast as they want him to be. He's had too many missed tackles, which is, which is both true. Um, but at the end of the day, Miles Farmer is a football player. He's going to come up and he's going to hit you. 
he is he was the most physical guy on Nebraska's defense, in my opinion, towards the end of the season last year. He was coming up and blowing up Muhammad Abraham. He was blowing up Chase Brown. He was blowing up uh, Caleb Johnson, that true freshman, really good true freshman running back from Iowa. He brings he is he is the 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 uh, like the textbook definition of a safety linebacker hybrid, the who is very comfortable at creeping down into the tackle box and being that extra body at that linebacker level. He can hold his own in pass defense. I know it's maybe not his best trait, but I think he can he can cover a tight end running down the seam if he's if he needs to. Um, I, I think he's pretty good in, in run support, a lot better than a lot of people give him credit for. Um, I, I think he's going to have a role, and I think he's he's my pick to be the safety hybrid linebacker rover um, in Tony White's defense. Um, outside than him, Omar Brown. Uh, Omar Brown has had a really good spring. I kind of didn't like seeing him in that green limited jersey last time we were out there, but hopefully he's okay and he's and he uh, still um, is able to practice hard and he'll be there this fall. I really like Omar Brown as maybe a rover candidate too, but maybe as just straight up one of those safeties. Um, Isaac Gifford, I feel like nobody's talking about Isaac Gifford. Um, he kind of got blown up in that one hi- highlight that the um, by Heinrich Harburg and that one highlight that the social media team tweeted out uh, yesterday. Um, but I, I still think Isaac Gifford is was one of the team's best tacklers um, on defense last year. Let's not forget about him. Deshaun Singleton, I think, is another really kind of interesting guy back there. Um, six foot three, 205, 210 pounds, just a big rangy fast guy from the coming from the junior college ranks last year. Marcus Buford. Um, it just really sucks that he got hurt, um, early in that Wisconsin game. It's a weird time to get hurt late in the season like that. So that, that when you think about the recovery, um, time that it takes for that, um, knee injury, um, Javen Wright is another really, really interesting one. Um, six foot five, 210 pounds, 215 pounds. He started to play a lot more. I really like that he started to play more last year. And I'm just, he's another guy that I'm really interested in seeing with that rover spot. Um, just the rover spot in general. I want to see how, I want to learn more about it. I want to ask Tony White more about it. Um, um, so, I don't know. Uh, Miles Farmer. I know a lot of people don't like him as much as I do, but I think he's going to be a, one of the better um, defensive defensive backs that we have in that kind of safety crew. So, um, yeah, thoughts? I just talked a lot. <laughs> it's funny because the uh, miles farmer quietly become extremely important to this defense heck yeah like, he is. if you if you just think about it like okay yeah he's not the best in coverage because he's just not the best like natural athlete yeah yeah but so what's the perfect spot for a guy like that that could get by in coverage maybe you want to get him more on tight ends but he's actually pretty good, especially it came on late in the season last year at playing in the box, that mm-hmm. rover spot. It, it yeah. really is just perfect for him. So to then to see him come out and talk um, yesterday, to hear the praise about him and how in the buy-in and all of that, it seems like his arrow is trending up or pointing up um, this spring. And I think that that's really important. And, and, and the reason is, to me, it ties back to what we started off talking about with the defense and all the concern about the defensive line how can this defense stop the run if you have a, a lack of defensive linemen and this the three three five alignment? People are worried about that. Well, how you do it is, is you take a safety that's pretty good at tackling in the box and you slide him down against these teams like Minnesota. You're going to see that week week one, um, and you can he can come down and help out. 
then if you have if you combine that with at this point I do I think that Gifford and Brown kind of had the inside track to those other two spots and I think that those guys are both good enough in run support and in coverage that you can do a lot of things with them and mix and match I do think that you know overall we've all kind of talked about the secondary being maybe the best position on the team definitely the best position on the defense Um, and that's before you get to some of those backups that have been fighting for additional time then the guy like Marquise Buford who I, I I still wonder, I wonder if they ultimately redshirt him um, this year um, and see what happens there. I don't know that for sure, but I do know that he really likes the coaching staff um, and kind of likes kind of their plan that they've laid out so far and how things are going. Um, and he's, of course, itching to get back out there because he's an impact player, I think, or a guy that could be a budding star on this defense. And so, but I think that they have enough without him right now. And I think that Miles Farmer, like just really quietly and suddenly for me, at least, became super important to this entire defense and in that rover spot is the perfect role for him one more thing on miles farmer because a lot of it's just i didn't like when people were talking about his lack of tackling and look he has missed a lot of tackles in his career but when you like point at the the defensive performance against georgia georgia southern there were the defensive line on nebraska's defensive line was just getting gashed against georgia southern we remember all those Georgia Southern running backs just running for all just through these open wide open um, holes. And then there would be like Nebraska safeties back there trying to make a one-on-one tackle against the division one running back running full speed ahead. That is a difficult play. And just the, any, any safety would, would struggle in that situation, put in that situation. That is just a tough, tough play to make. So when I, when I hear people, you know, say, say, you know, they, they hope that miles farmer isn't out there because he's too slow and he's not good at tackling. I can't disagree with that more. Like, you know, he was put in some bad positions last year because the defensive line and the linebackers weren't fitting. Right. And so, you know, these, these running backs were getting full, full, full steam ahead right at the safeties and leaving them for one, trying to make one-on-one tackles. And that's just a difficult play. Um, and, before we move on, we should mention Corey Collier. I forgot to mention Corey Collier, former five-star athlete in the 2021 class. He he comes over after two seasons. I think it was two seasons in Florida. Um, so he he comes down as as uh, the second Gator transfer, and I think he could play, uh, step right in, and um, it might might suit him better at safety as kind of a three-three-five safety with Tony White. So I, I'm don't really know a lot about Corey Collier just because he didn't play a whole lot at Florida, but he's another one I'm really interested in. And I could see him getting into the rotation too. Like you mentioned, this defensive back room is way, way, way loaded with a lot of bodies and they need to figure that out, figure it out. So it's going to be really interesting to see who sticks around. But when Matt rule talks about, he's wanting to play 17, 18, 19, 20 guys on defense. That's where you could see the defensive back room, like rotating in just a lot of rotation with like miles farmer, Corey Collier, Omar Brown, um, Isaac Gifford. You can see these guys rotating in and, you know, staying, helping helping stay fresh and and fast on on defense so i I, i'm really interested in the defensive back room but yeah um rant on miles miles farmer um over well my my one last thought on farmer is uh as we're talking here it's just funny the dichotomy between the presser after the oklahoma game versus the presser yesterday where obviously so much obviously it's right after a loss um but so great uh just the difference there where um just talking like frustrated about how we've been tagging off for four years we've been tagging and, off <laughs> yeah i think we're i think we're gonna remember that for like 
for the rest of Miles Farmer's career is just that honesty and just open frustration, understandably so. And then um, back to what we talked about, about rule implementing these things is, I mean, the physicality at practice, you see the videos, we hear about it. Um, and we see it ourselves a little bit like that's for a guy like Miles Farmer. I was thinking about this yesterday when we saw that video from the Husker account, like a dude like that's just got to be licking his chops, just being like, all right, this is what I, this is what I've been wanting. Like this is, uh, this is fits me perfectly. I bet there's a lot of guys on the team who feel like that. And I bet there's some who don't. And that's sort of what this brings about, right? Is weeding out the guys who aren't built for that and aren't fit for that. Um, so I was just interesting to think about with when looking at Miles Farmer specifically and then broadening it out for the bigger picture. But um, moving on to the last thing we wanted to talk about, um, again, speaking of bigger pictures, the quarterback battle, because it started this spring, but it hasn't. Um, I feel like it hasn't, it's not going to truly start until training camp when Katie, uh, when Casey Thompson goes back or comes back. Um, and seeing Jeff Sims up close, I mean, we knew about it, but seeing him up close, 6'4", 220, it's like, okay, damn, like he is an NFL looking athlete, NFL body he has that physicality. And, um, and Casey Thompson's not built the same way that I think what 5'11", um, 5'11", six foot officially 195. Um, and the difference is just going to be so interesting because it rule and Sirefield Sirefield clearly want the run game, the quarterback run game to be a part of this offense. Maybe not like 20 carries a game type, but it quite clearly looks like, um, the quarterback run game is going to be a part of this offense. And I think come fall camp, we're going to have this sort of. Um, the quarterback battle really gets going and it's going to be, all right, the Jeff Sims as the better athlete, the more physical presence in the run game versus Casey Thompson as the better thrower, because I think Sims still um, has some, has some things to work on mechanically um, with, um, with the, the throw game. I mean, 23 interceptions in 23 games um, as a, uh, three years at Georgia Tech, which cut him some slack. 13 of those came as a true freshman. Um, so that needs to be stated, but still a lot um, sort of inconsistent up and down. And that's why he said consistency is the number one thing I want to work on. And um, I think Satterfield was telling us a little bit without telling us that the num- biggest thing he wants out of the quarterbacks is taking care of the ball. Uh, he said, I'll put my dog out there to play quarterback if he takes care of the ball. Um, so sort of that balance that I think that's going to become a big storyline of um once we hit fall camp is the different things sims brings to the table different things uh thompson brings to the table um and like which which sort of style really um wins out yeah there's there's a lot to talk about with the quarterbacks it's you know you mentioned the interceptions and um you know sims like you said 23 and 23 interceptions and 23 career um, games at Georgia Tech. He was a 57% um, completion percent passer at Georgia Tech. You'd like to see that higher for a Division One quarterback, especially a Power Five quarterback in the Big Ten. Like you said, w- with Marcus Satterfield, I think it's really going to come down to which which of those two quarterbacks, and maybe maybe Heinrich Harburg. This seems to be the spring of Heinrich Harburg. They really like his athleticism, his size, 
um, his arm strength. He's got, he's probably, you know, if you're judging off arm, arm strength, I bet Heinrich Harburg is, or maybe Richie Torres can throw the ball the farthest and hardest. But uh, I think Heinrich Harburg has really, I think it's real. I think it's real. And I'm not sure if he's going to win the job, but I could see a package for Heinrich Harburg out there this fall. Um, But when it comes down to it, Jeff Sims, Casey Thompson, it's going to come down to which of those two quarterbacks, Marcus Satterfield feels comfortable enough that won't turn the ball over the most. And Jeff Sims has thrown a lot of interceptions. He's also been injury prone. I have it written down here. Um, He missed six games in 2021 and the final five of last year when he basically stepped away from the program to focus on his, he already knew he was transferring and he was going to focus on his uh, rehab of his um, injury. I think it was like foot or ankle, something like that. But uh, so yeah, in my opinion, better athlete, Jeff Sims, better quarterback, Casey Thompson, but we will find that out in fall camp. And, and I think the coaches are really itching to see what Casey Thompson can, can do in fall camp. And um, you know, we've, we've seen Casey, toss the ball around, not like the other quarterbacks in the drills, but just kind of lightly toss it around at practice. He seems fine. I bet he could go out there right now, but obviously um, coming off uh, shoulder surgery, that's nothing to play around with. So just, um, you know, be limited for this spring and come back ready to go for fall camp. And I'm sure that's exactly what the plan is with Casey right now, but I'll just end on better athlete, um, Jeff Sims, better quarterback, Casey Thompson. So, um, which whichever quarterback is going to take care of the ball the best will might might win the job. So, and, and what's like fascinating to me about this quarterback race that hasn't really picked up yet, like like Zach said, is that Matt Rule making the quarterbacks live a couple of times here in spring kind of leads me to think that he's going to do that again in the fall, um, and that is a nice wrinkle that probably is a point for Jeff Sims because he would he would then be able to then show truly show like his escape ability and you know the the extra wrinkle that you'd give he'd give the offense and being able to call those designed quarterback runs or those option plays um, that Casey Thompson just it, it it's just not going to be the same. Though Casey is more, I think he's more capable as a runner than maybe people give him credit for, but it's just not Jeff Sims or even Harburg, right? And so it just makes it really difficult for him. Um, And to go back to one of Steve's points, though, about Harburg, I do think it's the spring of Harburg, and I think that I'm I'm kind of happy for him because these quarterbacks have been through a lot, kind of in this. And by the way, we still we don't ever talk about Logan Smothers um, in this mix as well, and it's just it's hard to see a path there for him. Like it, it just really is. And I know, you know, I feel like we've go. it's been many, many years in a row of us at basically asking him, when are you transferring? Um, and so like, hopefully that doesn't continue and we can just like one way or the other, it, it gets figured out. Um, but Harburg, I think is a real thing. I don't think that that's just a spring storyline. And I think that he's really important, not just to right now, but also the program's future is that you do want to have a quarterback in your program that you think can be a guy that you can go to in the future if, if need be, depending on what kind of happens in, in the big picture with recruiting. Um, and so, and it's also now or never for him to make kind of that move. Like the door is open for him to do it. It's just going to be difficult. And we all kind of think that it'll be Jeffson versus Casey Thompson when we get down to it. But I will throw this out there as well as we're kind of talking about what's happening with quarterback and then also kind of previewing what we think will happen in the fall. I think some of this will depend on how comfortable they are with the offensive line. Like if you get in a situation where they're like, okay, well, the line is healthy heading into the season and we think that we'll be able to do a little bit more traditional run game um, and we can design it better. 
that I, but we need Casey Thompson to be able to push the ball down the field for play action passes or get the ball to these tight ends. Yeah, I could see that being, you know, you go in with Casey Thompson in that situation. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. But I do think that that battle will be like the number one thing we're talking about in fall. Uh, we're just not there yet. It's fun to talk about, though. It really is like an actual quarterback battle and the different things that they bring to the table, I think, makes it a little bit more of a juicy storyline. Um, that's just uh, the two different strengths and which one which one's going to wind up winning out um, again. Uh, doesn't really feel like it officially starts until um, until the fall. And, I mean, we have four practices left and the spring game. Um, I know we talked about – we went through a lot. We uh, went, went over an hour, obviously a lot longer than we normally would go on these, but it's because there's so much to talk about and, like, we, we could probably go longer um, with the different things we've seen and heard and, and observed um, throughout the first – um, first nine practices, but, um, again, four left before the April 22nd spring game, which counts as the 15th practice, uh, really interested to see what the format's going to be. We still don't know yet. Um, curious if the quarterbacks are live there, how much tackling and physicality there is, um, would be interested if that happens, we don't know yet. Um, but a lot of interesting angles and, uh, things to consider, as we we move along here in the um, last two weeks of spring ball so we'll have it all covered for you at nebraska.rivals.com and on our inside nebraska youtube channel so i encourage you guys to like this video subscribe to our youtube page get the videos like this dropped right in your feed press conference videos analysis exclusive interviews and all that type of stuff um, but until next time um, when we come back here with uh with some more stuff for steve marrick and Greg Smith, I'm Zach Carpenter, and we'll catch you guys again next time.